We're going to be in 1 Samuel 14 if you want to go ahead and turn there. Uh, last week uh, we talked about uh, overcoming faithlessness and we looked at the idea uh, of, uh, you know, you got, you got um, uh, throwing down the gauntlet. That's our idea of throwing down the gauntlet was a, a metal glove medieval times that if you wanted to fight someone, you threw it down. If the person you threw it down at their feet in front of, if they took it up, that meant the fight was on. Um, and so we as men want to, from time to time, throw down the gauntlet against different things. Last week we talked about the idea of throwing down the gauntlet against faithlessness. You had the children of Israel on one side and you had the Philistines on another side. The Philistines had their, uh, uh, their champion warrior named Goliath who would come out and he would mock the children of Israel time and time again. And in doing so, uh, they, would, they, they, they never took up the gauntlet. Every day he threw down the gauntlet. He says, hey, just send me a man, send me a man, send me a man. And all the, all the children of Israel refused to go out. But David finally went out. And you remember a couple of things that we said is you can't fight in someone else's armor. Uh, you've got you've to you've take your own armor. You've got to fight your own battle, your own way. Uh, and David took his sling, and, uh, and that's what he did. And it's five smooth stones. You, you also got to remember, as we looked at last week, is we're going to throw down the gauntlet against faithlessness. There are going to be some people that don't believe in us. Uh, remember, he was laughed at by his brothers. Uh, uh, even uh, uh, Saul said, hey, you need to take my armor because you're, uh, uh, you can't handle it. And David said, listen, I've, I've slayed the bear and the lion and everything else. And so that was last week. If you missed it, you can find it online. Uh, today, I want to talk to us about throwing down the gauntlet against spiritual apathy. Uh, throwing down the gauntlet against spiritual apathy. Are, are you apathetic about your faith? Or are you apathetic about anything that is important uh, in life? Um, as I was doing some research uh, this week, uh, there's actually a medical condition. We've got a medical condition for everything now, don't we? Uh, it seems like there's a medical condition. There is actually a medical condition called apathy. It's, um, and here's how it's diagnosed. Um, and you've got to have all of these. Uh, a person that has a decrease or a lack of passion for life, the important things in life. Is anybody in here like that, that you have lost passion? I mean, don't raise your hand, but just you've lost the passion for life. Uh, that, that a lot of times we just, things we used to be passionate about, we're no longer passionate about. Uh, the second thing is um, a lack or a decrease of motivation that uh, you're, you're, not, you're not passionate, you're not motivated uh, to go after things that used to create passion in your life, that, uh, that used to motivate you to succeed or to win or to be better or something like that. Uh, another one is uh, a decrease or a lack of connection with other people, that you drift into an isolation, you um, have a tendency to desire to be not with people instead of people that you used to love to be with. And sometimes we're that way and you know men, or you might have been this season, that sometimes it's with those that you love the most, your wife or your family or something like that, that you just don't want that connection anymore. And uh, then another one is um, a decrease or lack of co connection and communication with people. You would just rather not talk. You know, you would just another, rather not talk about anything or anything that matters, and you just get quieted. They, they go through this list of things. Uh, you de develop a negative attitude or more of a pessimistic attitude about life. And then the last one is uh, no more commitment to anything. I'm not committed to working out. I'm not committed to my job. I'm not committed to my family. I'm not committed to anything. And, and it's not that I'm choosing to walk away. I'm just choosing not to be engaged. 
And uh, the, uh, the study that I was reading said this affects men way more uh, than it does ladies. Uh, that ladies are more naturally prone to stay connective and continue to communicate and continue to talk and continue to stay in relationships with people they love and they care about. Whereas men, uh, we oftentimes have a tendency to withdraw and we just become spiritually apathetic about things that we know. And that's the reality as you read the study, as I was reading the study, we know we should be different. I mean, when it comes to knowing if we're not doing the right thing, it doesn't, it, it, we know it. We know that we pull away. We know that we're not engaged. We know that we should be more engaged. We should be more positive, but we're just not. And so today I want to talk to us about overcoming spiritual apathy. And uh, you've got Dabo up here uh, that we'll hear, um, hear from hopefully in a second. Hopefully we've got the right, uh, right one where he's definitely passionate about it. But I also heard the old age old joke of what's the difference between ignorance and apathy? Anybody know? I don't know and I don't care. So, uh, you know, that's, it's hard to determine whether we're just men who are ignorant or if we're men who are apathetic, whether we're ignorant or apathetic. And so I want to talk to us about overcoming spiritual apathy. And I will tell you the one thing that, uh, that Dabo Sweeney, Sweeney is not, uh, uh, is not, not, he is not apathetic. And so go ahead and play this video uh, about him. Real quick, hopefully get If you think about that, there's, there's anything but a lack of passion right there. 
Uh, and so, guys, I want to challenge us as you think about some of what he said. He says all the credit goes to uh, uh, Christ, and he, he's always keeping that at the forefront of his conversation and his passion. But the reality of it is, still got to make tough decisions. If you go back, if you followed Clemson at all, he made a tough decision uh, early on and lost a kid that uh, uh, was a pretty talented player. He just wasn't the best player. And so uh, sometimes we're faced with that in our, in our jobs, in our lives, uh, uh, in, in every circumstance in life that we can love Jesus, but we still sometimes have to make hard decisions. We just want to make them in the, in the right way. But when it comes back to spiritual apathy, um, how many of you remember, a lot of you, I don't, I don't want to bring uh, physics in here, but uh, uh, there was a class when my freshman year at Baylor, we had a physics class. And, and it don't don't worry, it wasn't that impressive. It was called football physics, all right. But it, but it got your credit out of the way. Uh, that uh, that you just took it and you and you got the credit out of the way. But they had some small things. But one of the things I remember in there uh, was uh, Newton's first law of motion. Anybody know Newton's first law of motion? Huh? Yeah, basically, a body, first of all, has a tendency to keep doing what it's doing. If it's rest, it stays at rest. If it's in motion, it stays in motion. And, and it's hard to change that. And they resist, and the body, if it's at rest, it resists being moved. Or if it's in motion, that same body resists stopping. Unless it is acted upon, acted upon by anybody remember the two words that are, in, are an outside force or an unbalanced force. One of those two things. That's what, an outside force, right? And so for, for some of us, we can look back on our lives and there were seasons in our lives where we were moving. We were moving for God. We were serious about our faith. We were serving the church. We were doing a lot. Our families were rolling. And man, we just had everything going our way. And then all of a sudden, an unbalanced force or an outside force comes along and just slams into us. And I don't know what that might have been. It might have been a job layoff. It might have been uh, losing your job or a company closing. It might have been the death of a friend or, or someone you love or you went through a relationship breakdown that, that you didn't desire. Some outside force came in and really shut it all off. Well, I can look back a number of years. In 2008, it was my brother took his life. And that God was moving and the church was blessed and, and just everything seemed to be going right. And then all of a sudden, I get a phone call. My brother, who had struggled with alcohol and uh, a divorce, uh, basically told me goodbye. And I thought I talked him out of it. And thought I talked him out of it. And I laid my head in the pillow and over in Fairview at that time, uh, thinking, you know what, I should drive down there. Four hours, I can be at his house and, you know, we can get this taken care of. But I chose not to. Instead, I woke up in the morning, I came into work. So the next phone call I got here at work was being told that my brother had called 911 for himself because he didn't want, to, want my mom or me to find him. And so they called, they said, we're with the Sheriff's Department, we're here, we need you to head this way. That was the next phone call I got. Let me tell you what, something that'll bring you to a halt is that right there. And that's my experience. I don't know what your experience is. Man, there are things that come our way in a sinful and broken life that when we are moving, that there is an unbalanced force or an outside force that comes in and just shuts down everything. Well, once we've gone from movement 
to lack a movement, then we want to stay there. We, we don't want to move again. We want to just stay where we are. And a lot of times that's when we go into those, uh, those issues and those ideas of, uh, of, of, man, I want to break off communication. I'm going to have more of, a, uh, more of an isolated mindset. I'm not going to be too active in connecting back with God or in the church or something. Sometimes it's not an outside force that shuts down our movement. Sometimes it's an inside force. Sometimes it's... Uh, it's that we lose that battle between the spirit and the flesh. You know, the one that Paul talks about at Romans chapter 7, that I, you know, when you think if, if there was anybody who should have overcome temptation, and by the way, one of these weeks we're going to talk about how do we overcome temptation, throwing down the gauntlet against temptation. But you're sitting there going, if anybody should have ever overcome his temptation, it should have been Paul, right? I mean, by the time he's reading, reading writing Romans, you would have thought he had arrived. That he should have been able to told us, all right, do these three things and you will never be tempted again in your life. Or do these two things and there will never be a war with the flesh and the spirit in your life. You would have thought by then Paul said that. As a matter of fact, if you go one chapter over, in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Paul says there is now, and it's present, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans chapter 8 verse 1. That's pretty impressive. And he talks about being called and chosen and glorified and sanctified. All of those things are right there in Romans chapter 8. That is in Romans chapter 8 where Paul says, Man, there is nothing that happens to us in your life or my life or his life or anyone around us that God can't work for the good. That's all in Romans chapter 8. But if you jump back into Romans chapter 7, Paul says, I've got this war waging in my life. And he doesn't, he doesn't choose the word, and there were some uh, Greek words he could have chosen that, that he could have said there's this little skirmish going on. You know, there are times that we have skirmishes in our life. You know, we have a little dust-up with a friend or a dust-up with our spouse or dust-up with our kids. There are other times we are at war, right? How many of you know? And Paul chooses the word war. He says, there's not a skirmish going on inside my heart. There is a war going on. And it's a war against the flesh... And the Spirit, the Spirit is, is saying, listen, Paul, do what you know God wants you to do. And we all have that sense. I believe there are times, that, I believe there's every guy in here, if, you have, or if you're a believer in Christ, there are times you sit there in the middle of a message or in the middle of a life group or you hear, see a video or hear someone else's testimony or hear about somebody else who is passionate about your faith. Every guy in this room at some point has said, I wish I was that passionate about my faith. Be honest. Guys, how many in this room has ever heard someone else's testimony, seen some other man doing something for God, and you have said in your heart, I know I should be more passionate about my faith? Every guy in this room. Every, that's all of us. We all have that battle. We all have the Spirit of God, if we are believers, that is saying, come on, man. Do something. And then on the other side, every guy in this room has the other side of the battle. Paul says the spirit on one side, the flesh on the other side. And there are times that we are just rocking and rolling through life. 
that we are just, we're in love with our wife and our job's going great and our kids are doing well and we're shocked that our kids are doing well. That just reminds us again that, that they have a good mama, right? How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, I mean, we're all right there. I mean, and, and we're sitting there rolling through life and all of a sudden, there's a temptation that shows up. A couple of weeks, we're going to talk about dealing with those. Or, or, or you get distracted. Or you just lose the passion for your walk. And something goes on and, and you screw up. Or I screw up. And we lose the battle. Man, it is a war and a battle, Paul says. And the last thing we can do is to be spiritually apathetic. And I think there are times that, that, that certain things cause us to be apathetic. And as I, I thought about those things, I, let me give you a couple of thoughts, and you can write these down or not. As I thought about our, not the medical definition of apathy, but more of a biblical definition of apathy. And we're going to touch on a lot of these and some biblical examples. One thing, I, I think we need to acknowledge there's a reality. That from time to time, it is natural and it's okay to be apathetic for a season. For a season. I think, I think we all go and go on mountaintops and through valleys, spiritually. And I think it's okay. If you're in a, um, a state or a stage of being spiritually apathetic, I just want you to have this thought in your mind. This is a seasonal thing. It's not a permanent thing. Now, if you're looking back and you think of your spiritual apathy, it's been the last three years, now we've got a problem. If it's been the last three months, that's a seasonal thing. Now, part of the key to knowing it's seasonal is seasons come to an end, right? Right? I mean, they do. Now, here in, here in Texas, we know we have winter about eight times. That's eight days a year, right? You know, we, some seasons are pretty predictable. Uh, I remember years ago, a guy came in here. He was from Minnesota, and I said, and it was cold when he was talking about being down. I said, you glad you're here? He said, yeah, we have two, two seasons in Minnesota, winter and construction. <laughs> and the reality of it is there are seasons that we go through in our lives, that we go through seasons with our spouses and seasons with our kids where it just seems like, man, uh, the, the, the water uh, uh, is, is plentiful and, and the buds on the new, uh, uh, the new exciting journeys that we do with our kids are great. And then all of a sudden they become teenagers and it's winter, right? And there are times that it's seasonal. We need to understand it. So what season are you in right now? Are you in a season where it's been a long winter are you in a season in your life where you feel like it's spring that you're just part of the reason why you're here is you are ready for some new life is it summer it just seems like man you are you are beaten down is it fall that you can already notice that the leaves are falling off that you can look back a couple of months or uh, a couple of years and, man, you were passionate about your faith, but now you've said, hey, I, I want to stop serving here. I want to stop doing this, and I'm going to stop doing that. And I was pretty passionate about reading the verse of the day or a devotion of the day or something like that. But you've noticed, you can sense that the leaves are falling off. I want to encourage you to just remember that apathy is okay as long as it's seasonal. 
when it sets in permanently, we got a problem. And, and sadly, I, I think there are a lot of guys that have, have grown to accept apathy when it comes to the spiritual things in life. When it comes to serving in the church, man, just let your wife do it. She can handle it. And most of our wives are great at it. Most of our wives, honestly, are better, than, better at it than us. But that's not the way God built us. That's not the way God put us together. Another thought, and I'll deal with this. I think there are times that we'll experience burnout. I, I have seen guys in our church. I've known guys in our church that um, they were doing everything. Every time we asked someone to show up, they showed up. Every time we asked someone to stay late, they stayed late. Every time we asked somebody to show up early, they showed up early. Every time we asked somebody to give, they gave more. I mean, just there are times that we get burned out in ministry. One of the things we're going to look is uh, in a couple of weeks, well, Elijah went through that. Man, Elijah, Elijah had the Mount Carmel experience. You turn one chapter over, and he is whining and just saying, God, kill me. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of it. I'm, I'm burned out. There are times we can go through seasons of burnout. And it's okay to be at a, a season of apathy for a season. If you're just burned out, if you're regrouping, if you're gathering your, 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 your stamina and energy, another thing, and you look through God's Word, and we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, massive failures. There, there are some people that I know and probably you know and perhaps some guys in here that uh, you used to be pretty passionate about your faith and then you screwed up. We messed up. And sometimes it's public and sometimes it's rather private. And what do we have a tendency to do? We just bring in the markers. We just pull back. I messed up. I blew it. And so instead of me being passionate about my faith, this failure has caused me to be apathetic about my walk. And guys, if you're there, that's a reality. I could show you 15 guys in Scripture that did exactly that. They went from a failure to a season of apathy. But then to come out of that season of apathy, they have a, uh, a season of genuine confession. Look at David. Remember David? He blew it. And so sometimes it's failure. Other times we, we just get ourselves isolated. We just kind of had enough. I just don't like people. And if you're that way, man, get out of that. Get out of that space. And so let me talk to you a little bit. 1 Samuel 14 is where we're going to go. And, and let me give you two, two truths about apathy. And we're in 1 Samuel 14. Two truths about uh, One truth, and I think this is, this is real as I was thinking about it. It's easier. Okay? I'm going to be honest with you. It's easier to be apathetic about your faith and about church. It's easier. Because guess what? Then when the pastor says, hey, we need some guys to step up and do this, you let them, I'm out. Everybody else has to stack the chairs or move the tables. Everybody else has to help park cars. Everybody else has to change diapers or work in the children's ministry. Everybody else has, someone else has to study to prepare to teach in my life group. Someone else has to be the director of my life group. Someone else has, it's easier to be apathetic. I want you to know, I want you to know. If you're out here and you're doing nothing in church or nothing for God, you have chosen the easy path because it's not hard. It's easier. Man, it's easier just to kind of sit back and say, yeah. It's easier to sit back there and say, yeah, somebody needs to step up and do that, just as long as it's not me. I'll give you another truth about it. Um, it's pretty powerful. 
it's, it's pretty powerful. And you're going back to that Newton's first law of motion, you know, once you have moved to a state of rest, it's going to take a really, really good sermon by the pastor to move you an inch. Apathy's, it's powerful. Man, let me tell you what, you can look around, you can see a video of some other guy sharing their faith or some story that they've gone through something and you look around, everybody else is shedding a tear and you're kind of going, not me. It's powerful. And so guys, I, I want you to know that if you are willing to move out of spiritual apathy, you're going to have to make life a little harder on yourself and you're going to have to almost beg the Spirit of God to be an unbalanced force to begin to move you again. And so that's my prayer. And so when we come to 1 Samuel chapter 14, and we're going to look at 14, let me just kind of paint the story for you, get the scenario for you. You've got the children of Israel, Saul is the king. Saul is the king. And, uh, you know, when the children of Israel went into the promised land, first thing they were supposed to do is they were supposed to drive out all the enemies. And we can go back and we can read. And I'm going to use this story here in a couple of weeks. Uh, Jericho, remember Jericho, man, they, they marched around the walls. Jericho was a fortified city. It was one of the powerful cities. And they end up dominating, not because of how awesome they were as military fighters. Just simply some of them could play some hor horns and they could march a little, okay? And God gave them the victory. And a lot of times you and I need to understand, you don't need to go to nine years worth of seminary or six years worth of seminary or three years worth of seminary for God to use you? Are you just willing to pick up whatever instrument God has given you and are you willing to march for Him? That's how easy it is to see the victory, I believe, when God wants you to show up in His life. Are you willing just to pick up whatever instrument God has already given you and are you willing to march around? Are you willing to do anything? And you're going to hear that here in a second. So the children of Israel didn't run off of their enemies. And so guess what? They're sitting there surrounded. You have Saul and the children of Israel, the army. This isn't David and Goliath. This is before David and Goliath. But the Philistines are around them. And what you have is you have the children of Israel who are supposed to dominate the promised land are just kind of hiding in holes and caves. The Philistines have gathered around them. Saul had a son named Jonathan. You may have known that name. Jonathan becomes David's good friend. David, David, uh, David becomes a friend of Jonathan. Jonathan has more character, more integrity, more everything, more of sensitivity towards God and what God wants. And it's Jonathan that notices Saul always wants to kill David so Jonathan, his son, could be the king. Jonathan always senses that God has David as the next king. So, but this is before David and Jonathan are good friends. And so what you have is you have Saul is, instead of leading the army of the children of Israel, and first of all, praying and confessing and ask God for their leadership and forgiveness, instead of him saying, let's go tear up the Philistines, Saul is in a hammock drinking coconut milk or whatever, whatever kind of milk they drank. And he's doing nothing. And Jonathan, his son, looks around and says, this isn't who God brought. God didn't bring us from Egypt into the promised land to hide in holes and hide in caves from the Philistines. And so Jonathan takes matters in his own hands. And in taking matters in his own hands, he overcomes apathy. And I want to point out a couple of things and a couple of key ideas. And so here, let me just tell you the story and then we're going to walk through them. So Jonathan, he looks at his dad, he looks at the children of Israel, and he looks at his armor bearer. Since he's the king's son, he's got an armor bearer. He goes, hey, I got an idea. 
instead of us hiding in caves, instead of us not doing anything, let's you and I, just me and you, let's go up to the Philistines and let's see if God might want to do something through us. And his armor bearer kind of says, all right, I'm with you. I mean, the, the truth is, let's don't go all out on this armor bearer. Pretty much he had to be with Jonathan. They were going to kill him, get a new armor bearer, okay? But the armor bearer looks at him and says, all right, I'm with you. So Jonathan says, so the armor bearer says, what's the plan? He goes, I don't, really don't have a good plan. He goes, here's what I'm going to do. He says, we're going to walk over. We're going to find an outpost to the Philistines. And he goes, and you and I are going to climb up to the outpost, and we're going to see if something good, good can happen. The armor bearer looks at him and says, I'm with you. So they walk over, they see an outpost, and Jonathan, and, and, and he says, all right, what's the plan? And he, he says, well, all right, if they tell us to come up, we'll come up when they see us at the outpost. If they tell us to stay put, we'll stay put. And so the armor bearer says, that's a great plan. I'm with you. So sure enough, they walk out. And he looked up at the outpost, and the Philistines mock him. They said, look, a couple of the Israelites have crawled out of their holes and crawled out of their caves. And, and they looked down and said, come on up here. We're going to teach you a lesson. That's exactly what we're going to see. They said, we're going to show you a thing or two. You should have stayed in the cave, stayed in the hole. You should have kept hiding. And so Jonathan looks at the armor bearer and says, they ask us to come up. Can you imagine the armor bearer? That's a great idea. So it says they begin to climb up, hands and feet, armor bearer at his side. Jonathan gets up to the top, and there's about 20 Philistines standing there. Can you imagine being the armor bearer? Climbing up, carrying everything, saying, all right, this is not a good idea. We need a better plan. How about if we go back and get some other guys? Jonathan comes up to the top and says, let's go, and they slay 20 Philistines right there. Now, here's the key. That was not... The ultimate battle, but that was the start of the battle. And so guys, today for some of you guys, as I give you a few points, you are not going to lick the Philistines today. But my prayer is that you'll leave here today and go take out a few. That you would go take out a few. And so let me give you a couple of thoughts, and uh, uh, we're going to roll through it. I've shared with you basically the story, and now they just have to have two things. They have to have a little willingness and a little courage. And so pick it up as, uh, let me first of all read for you um, uh, 1 Samuel 13, verse 23. It says, Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. All right? I, I think Michmash, probably the Hebrew translation to the place of apathy. All right? And so that's where the children of Israel were. And so now let's jump down into verse 4. So here, here are a couple of points if you are going to overcome apathy in your life. Number one, write this down. This is, this is genius. I came up with my, this with myself. All right? Ready? Number one, do something. Write that down. If you are spiritually apathetic, if you are apathetic with your wife or with your, with your kids or at the office or something, it starts with those two words. Do something. De Jonathan didn't have a well thought out plan. He didn't know what was going to happen after he slayed the 20 Philistines. He didn't even know if he was supposed to go up and slay them or stay down and slay them. He just knew he was supposed to do something. So here's the point, guys. Every guy in here and every person in this room, and I've been there as your pastor, there are times that we are in a fog. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
I don't really know, should I stay in this job? Should I leave this job? Should I interview or should I not? What should I do with my wife? Man, my wife and I were just kind of at a quiet impasse. In other words, she, she, she's hacked off. I call that a quiet impasse at our house. All right, and I fired. Here is the first step. Do something. Doesn't matter what. Just do something. Guys, God created us as doers. We, we are not, I'm looking around this room, y'all are a lot like, we aren't big thinkers, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? But I am a doer. So just consider if there is some place in your life, maybe it's your relationship with your wife, or your relationship with your kids, or it's your passion at the office, or it's something, maybe, maybe it's your spiritual journey and your spiritual walk, and you know, I should be so far along that I should know more. Do something. You say, where do you see this? And that's, that's where we pick it up. Look at it in verse 1. It says, One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young armor bearer, and you can read the verse five, verses uh, 2 through 5 or whatever, and you can see that Saul the king is doing nothing. He's basically in the hammock. He is apathetic. He's just hanging around. And so one day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, Come, let us go over to the Philistines and to their outpost on the other side, but he did not tell his father. He just did something. He didn't go to his dad, who would have said, no, 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 you're not going to do this. We're just going to hang out. Where He just did something. So you don't have to announce what you're going to do, but I'm going to encourage you. Thought number one is do something. I love what Thomas Aquinas, uh, great, uh, great wise man of many, many years ago, philosopher, he says if the highest aim of the captain were to only were only to preserve the ship, he would do nothing but keep it in the port. But see, ships were meant to be out on the seas. And guys, God created us to take some risk. I'm not going to tell you what your risk is and what you should do, but whether it's with your wife or at the office or in spiritual with your church, do something. Why? Because it's always easier to change directions when you're in motion than when you're still. And so do something. Here's thought number two. You ready? Write this down. This is genius. Do something with somebody else. Do something with somebody else. Life isn't a solo sport. It's not a solo act. If you jump down to verse 6, notice what he says. Uh, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, who was his other person? He was the armor bearer. That was a close friend. And, and he says, do something with somebody else. His young armor bearer, come, let us, or let's, what's the translation of less? Let's let us go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from, uh, uh, from the Lord from saving, whether by many or whether by few. He says, do all that you have in mind, his young armor bearer said to him. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. So do something, do something with someone else. Jonathan had his armor bearer. I love the idea, I'm with you heart and soul. My guess is every person in this room has another man or has another friend that you could open up to if you would be willing to. And just simply say, listen, I'm ready to start doing something for God. But I want you to join me. I want you to come alongside me or at least maybe pray for me or encourage me. 
Or some of these guys you look around and you see they're pretty passionate about their faith and you pretty much admire them, come alongside them and say, listen, you really seem to be pretty, pretty passionate about your walk with the Lord. And I want to get there. And so find someone. You say, who is that? Man, it's a friend. It's a group. It's a life group. It's a, it's a discipleship uh, group. It's, uh, it's Justin. Somebody on the staff can help point you to someone. Some of us can help point you to someone. Man, but do something with someone else. Find someone else to make your journey with. So do something and do something with someone else. Find a group to serve with or, or connect with or move with. Here's number three. You ready? Do something with someone else that is visible. Do something with someone else that is visible. Guys, we are visible people. God created us to be salt and light. What do we know about salt? What do we know about light? They're obvious. You oversalt something, it's obvious. You turn on the light in a dark room, it is obvious. That do something for some, with someone else that is visible. Let me ask you a question. What is the last thing, besides maybe going to church or, or coming to a Tuesday morning Bible study, that you've done for your faith or done for your church that others could see? That others could see. Now, you don't do it just to be seen, but if you are doing it, you are going to be seen. Serving in the church, man, opening doors, being an usher, doing, doing anything. Helping people out in the park. When, is, when have you done something that others can see? You say, where do you see that? Where do you pick that up, Pastor? Um, notice, uh, jump down to verse uh, 8. It says, Jonathan said, come on then. We will cross over toward them and let them see us. Now, I want you to know, in, in, in a war sense, in a practical sense, that's not the smartest idea, Right? It's better to slide up on someone. Let's don't let them see us. Maybe we can tackle them. He says, no. Let's go over there. Let's cross over. And let's let them see us. And so if you're going to overcome apathy, you've got to do something, anything. You've got to do something with somebody else. But you've got to do something with somebody else that's visible. What are you doing in your life spiritually that others can see and take note of? If the answer is nothing... You're apathetic. You're spiritually apathetic. And God didn't create us as men to be spiritually apathetic. He created us as salt and light and strong, visible witnesses. So become visible, make a decision, and find others that will help you be there. Here's number four. You ready? Do something. Do something with others. Do something with others that's visible. Visible. And then be willing to take some risk. Then be willing to take some risk. Guys, I'm going to level set everybody in the room. I've had this conversation with a thousand guys. Okay, so you're not the only guy. I've had this conversation with a thousand guys who would say, I've not been a very good spiritual leader at home. I love my wife. I come to church with my wife, but I don't pray with my wife. I don't pray with my kids. No one has to raise their hand. I've had that conversation a thousand times. I know a lot of good men who are good, godly leaders. They're, they serve in the church, but they don't pray with their wife. They don't pray with their kids. They don't, and, and, and part of the issue is 
Now, after we've been married 25 years, if I all of a sudden go in and say, hey, listen, I'm just not really good at this, but I'd like to start praying with you. Or you go look at your kids and say, you know what, I, I've not done this very much, but I'd like to start praying with you. I'd like to start leading you. Would you let your dad lead you like you know he needs to lead you? Would you do that? What is that? That's taking a risk. If your kid's 15 or 16, you might get that teenage Heisman, right? Yeah, go on with that, Dad, right? Your wife, my guess is, if you take some risk, you're going to be received more well than you think you are. So I'm going to encourage you to take some risk. You say, where do you see the take the risk? Jump down as we uh, read, look at verse 9. Jonathan says, if, there's the risk. <laughs> uh, he doesn't have all the answers. He says, if, if they say to us, wait there until we'll, we come to you, Jonathan says, all right, then we'll wait here until they come to us. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. What did he do? He took some rest. He says, we're going to roll over. We're going to cross over. If they say, come up, we'll go up. If they say, stay there, we'll stay there. If we come up, that's going to be the Lord's sign that he's going to give us the victory. So take some risk. What are you willing to take a risk for your church, for your family, for those you love, for those you care about at the office? Take some risk. If you're at an office or if, if you're in some sort of environment, take the risk of saying, hey, guys, I'm not, I'm not the best teacher in the world, but, you know, every lunch, a couple times every Monday or every Tuesday or every Wednesday or something like that, maybe you do it on Tuesday so that way you can just tell them what I, I said in the morning. You can look really smart because all I did was Google Chuck Swindoll's sermon last night then you just share a couple of thoughts on spiritual apathy. Man, I just feel like I'm spiritual. Take some risk. And you're going to have some people, they're just like the Philistines, you're going to have some people that say, hey, just stay right there. And you're going to have some other people say, come on, man. I've been waiting for a guy like you. See, because there are other men that are around you, I'll promise you, that they are spiritually apathetic. And they know they need to do something, but they're not willing to do something. They know they need to do something with somebody else, but they haven't chose that somebody else. And by you taking action may cause them to say, you're the other I've been looking for. Now let's take some risk together. See, because it's always easier to take risk when you're with somebody else, right? Isn't it always easier to take? Y'all have heard me say this before. I, you know, I've got a 16-year-old son. I always give him this conversation. Anytime they're going out and do something, I said, son, I want you to know I love you. You're an awesome kid. But here's what I know. 16-year-old boys are prone to do something stupid. And when four of you get together, you are four times as likely to do something stupid. Right? Man, because we just become risk takers to the max. Guys, if you would start getting open and be, take some risk with some other guys, there are some other guys out there who will quickly join in because you're bold in courage and they will say, I'm willing to take some risk with you just simply because you brought it up and it's been eating at me for a long time. Here's the next thought. You ready? Do something with others. Do something with others that is visible. Do something with others as you take risk and reject negativity when someone begins to dog you out. If someone in your family all of a sudden says, so now you want to show up and be the spiritual leader. Someone at the office says, well, dude, aren't you the guy that at the Christmas party staggering around, telling crazy jokes you shouldn't have been... You understand what I'm saying? There are going to be people that put you in your place, and they're going to try to... You just got to reject the negativity. Now, notice, the, where do you see that? Look at it. You pick it up in verse 11. And so, so both of them showed themselves to the Philistines at the outpost, 
And look, said the Philistines, these Hebrews are crawling out of these holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost show, uh, uh, shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up to us and we will teach you a lesson. What are they doing? They were putting them in their place. Say, hey boys, come on up here. We'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up after me, for the Lord has given them into our hands. My guess is the armor bearer says, There are like 20 of them up there. I don't think that's the way this is going to work out. But I'm with you. But I'm with, you know, sometimes there are going to be people, Satan is going to, sometimes it's that inner voice, that mental voice, Satan beginning to tell you and remind you of all the times you've failed in the past, all the times you've made this commitment in the past, all the times you've done this in the past, and you need to reject the negativity. When someone begins to dog on you, say, God said this was going to happen. I'm going to go on. Here's the final thought. Get on to your victory. Get on to your victory. But you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to do something with somebody else. You're going to have to do something with somebody else visibly. You're going to have to do something with somebody else, take some risk. And in the process of it, someone's going to bring some negativity. They're going to try to shut you down. They're going to throw, try to throw water on your spiritual fire. But if you will keep going, you'll find victory. Notice what we see right here in verse 13. It says, Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet. That means it was hard. He had to put a little energy and some effort in it. Using his hands and feet, the armor bearer didn't carry him to the top. I want you to know, guys, if you are moving out of spiritual apathy, the option for you is not to jump in the pastor's arms and I'm going to carry you where you need to be. You have got to do it yourself. It is your hands. It is your feet. It is your energy. It is your muscles. It is your blood. It is your sweat. It is your tears. Now, I don't want you doing it alone. And I want to be cheering for you along the way. But you need to be doing it with somebody else and get there. And so notice this as Jonathan climbed up using his own hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer, followed by, listen to this, followed and killed them behind him. So there are two of them together. It says, in that attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half an acre. Now I want you to know, he didn't defeat the Philistines. Everybody got that. The Philistines were still thousands upon thousands. We hadn't even gotten to Goliath. But he won that battle. Guys, today, win your battle. Today, win your battle. The 20 Philistines or the 2 Philistines or the 1 Philistine you face today Beat that one. How do you beat it? You do something. I do something with somebody else. I do something with somebody else that can be visibly seen for my faith while I take some risk and I reject negativity when someone shows up and then I'm going to see the victory. That's my prayer for every guy in this room today that you would do something today. Defeat one Philistine, just one today in God's strength. And that's the first step to getting out of spiritual apathy. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for these guys in this room. God, I pray that from this room, we might not in this room win 60 World War II's or great wars today, but we may slay 60 Philistines in our life. And God, that's my prayer, is that every man in this room would begin to move today from a state of spiritual motionless and apathy to a state of movement and victory.
at their office, in their relationships, with their kids, with their families, in every season, in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. God bless you guys.